I want to write a book that I want to write. Everybody wants to write a book. Everybody, nobody ever does. You know, they That's always. Sure. That all the people in the streets that I met, they're all writing books. Nobody ever does one. Yeah. But truly, I would like to write a book from the slanted part of it. Is that if you think you've lost your salvation, think again and then back it up from storylines and scripture. You know, because I think for the broken that have known Christ mm -hmm. and have fallen out there, I met numerous ones that are in that pit of guilt and can't get out. And yeah. so that's a big issue with the brokenhearted people that aspire to be Christians and then fell and couldn't get back up again. Welcome to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. Season 1, Episode 5. I was thinking before I came over here to tell some spiritual stories of my life and how God was so good to me and how God opened doors for me. Um, I was in a Walmart, and so 10, 15 minutes ago, I was walking down the aisle of Walmart in the world as the world perceives it should be, and... I had these thoughts about the Holy Spirit and uh, how it influenced my life and how I hear that at times. I hear the Holy Spirit and it becomes so arbitrary because certain denominations don't believe in that particular aspect of the word and then others do. And then you have the speaking in tongues people and you have the non-speaking in tongues people and you have all of those things going on within um, Christianity that I live in. So God has given me the opportunity over the years to go and cross denominational lines to uh, see these lovely people who love Jesus, but their views on different aspects of the word are different. And uh, for me, um, I believe that the Holy Spirit is the primary purpose of how this world in, interacts with Jesus and that word. Because Jesus said, I didn't make it up, it's in the word, in my absence, Absence means absent. Jesus is not on the face of this earth anymore. But he said, don't be afraid, guys. I'm leaving you to the Holy Spirit. He will show you all things, direct you in all the ways. So, I believe I hear from that Holy Spirit. I do. Not like... um have to ask them if should I have Cheerios this morning or not. I've heard people do that, but no, there's definite uh, places in life where he intervenes because I can't. I can't. And that's another thing about my Christianity. My belief system is that I'm not anything that Jesus was. I'm not anything that he was. He was perfect. It said that when he was on this world, he was perfect. And so I know what I'm not. He gives me everything he was, and now I'm empowered with that. What a wonderful thing. So I have two stories, and the one is uh, called Finding Jennifer. 
which is a uh, incredible miracle story. And I know some people had this story uh, in different aspects of their life, but this is my story because of Jesus. This isn't my story because I went and searched and looked and everything else. So it starts back in um, the draft, Vietnam era. I got this little letter that says, greetings. And those greetings weren't too grateful. I'm telling you, I was scared to death like every other guy that was, uh, and I thought I beat the draft because I was 23, but no such luck. So to bring this story uh, in focus, um, leaving Scranton, Pennsylvania in a local, uh, in a train to Fort, Gore, Fort Jackson, South Carolina to boot camp. We were all scared to death like little children and people were yelling at us and next stops Fort Gordon, Georgia and we get our MOS and and uh, we're trying to settle into the army. It's very difficult because at the time I did not know Jesus. I did not have that foundation in my life. It was all about trying to survive the best way I knew how. So to bring this in, a, to get rid of all the mundane stuff and come to the, the uh, principles of the story is that um, I went to a dance one night in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, where I was my base that I stayed for for two years. And um, I was a rock and roll drummer. And I did more drumming on the Ohio River than I did cooking in the mess hall. So I was like, uh, all of us musicians, so we existed on two hours sleep. And I remember I met this girl at a dance and um, her name was Karen. And so we danced, we got to know each other, we sort of liked each other and the next thing, we know we're in love, we're gonna get married, and she gets pregnant, and then the whole story sort of grays a little bit. Because now, I took her to see my parents, my parents loved her, I came back to Fort uh, Knox with her, and uh, her parents objected highly to the fact that we were gonna get married. So they basically shut it all down and isolated me from her, would not let me contact her, or nothing. And I found out by the grapevine that she was going to give the baby up for adoption. I truly went half insane and crazy because, first of all, I loved her. Second of all, that was my child. And third of all, I wanted to do the right thing and get married to this woman that I loved. And it, it, it just all went bad, and I never saw that woman again after all of those years. So in Dan's life at the age of uh, 26 or 7, finding Jesus Christ, knowing the truth, finding all of those things, and I've mentioned this before, but i got to put it into the story, that my walk with Jesus was strong for a year, and then a fence came and then I went back to my old behavior. Lived in that behavior 
guilty and in pain most of the time. And then finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to go back to God and surrender to him. And he was, he was a lovely God. He would take me in, love me, heal my wounds, and uh, and I'd be good. I'd be good, man. And people around me were coming to Christ, and it was, I'm, I'm here. I, I made it. I'm good. And then a broken marriage, and then back to my stuff. And my first 10 years of walk with Jesus was pathetic but you know the learning process in all things in Christ end up to be good and the good that came out of all of that destruction and all those ashes was the fact that I understood without a doubt in my mind because this is my story and this is my personal walk with my Jesus that he loved me every day whether I was perfect, imperfect, drunk, hungover, withdrawing, immoral, he loved me. And his love was enduring to the point where after 10 years, I walked through the rooms of AA with Jesus. I didn't leave him out. There was no God of my understanding. I understood the God I walked in there with. And that God took me there, sat me down and said, listen, and I found out what my problem was. I was an alcoholic. I crossed over this line, and that's another story. So here I am in, in uh, recovery, and maybe 15, no, maybe 20 years elapsed, 25 years, I don't know the exact timing, but 25 years of my sobriety elapsed. Didn't pick up, didn't go back, walk with Jesus, did a ministry, just went crazy for God. And uh, I get an envelope in the uh, mail room of where I pick up my mail and it's one of those UPS folders thick. And uh, I open it up and um, now I gotta go back a little bit. You know, every day of my life after that incident is, is so unimaginable how what goes in your heart sort of stays in your heart about where is that child. I had that theme in the back of my subconscious that I, every day, where, who, I didn't know the gender. I didn't know anything about that child. Where is that child? And I remember laying at, uh, I was a campground host at Lake Mead and I was laying there looking at the stars. I said, Lord, where is that child? You, you got to find me where she or he is. So more time elapsed, nothing happened. So back to the folder. So I opened this folder up and there's people and pictures of people and pictures of smiling people and hugging each other. And, and, and I'm like, who are these people? And, uh, and I can't get it. And I take the pictures, I'm lining them up. I don't recognize anybody. And there's a note in it that says, um, we had a family reunion, and the only uh, problem is that you weren't there. I'm like, who are these people? 
I, now I'm getting a little scared. Like, no, this can't. Believe me, I took that envelope four or five times. Is this me? Is this the right address? Is this? So to make a long story shorter, um, after I see that, I look at this girl's face. Now she's older, but I recognize her. And it says, Karen, this is uh, Karen. And I'm like, Karen, this can't be, man. This, this is impossible. After all this time, well, in the day they sealed all the records. In this day, all the records were open and computers were in, in the fix. And this, uh, my girlfriend at the time found her daughter. And they had this big family reunion, and it took them about six more months till they could find me, and then they found me. So anyway, the next thing I know is I'm in the parking lot of the Fandango, and I have a phone number, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what, what do I say? What? After all these years, there's a, a grown, this beautiful woman, this grown woman... And these grandkids, what, what do I say? I sort of rehearsed it. Well, you know, this is your dad. I couldn't say, that doesn't sound right. Um, I really am grateful that I found you. No, that doesn't sound right. I mean, this is, this is some serious stuff. So the Lord told me, the Holy Spirit told me, say this. Hey, Jennifer, this is your dad. Just say that. So I'm in the middle. I don't know why I was in the middle of this parking lot. I want to be left alone and quiet. You know, I'm under in the garage. I'm in the first layer of that garage at the Fandango. I pick up the phone and, I'm, and it's ringing and my heart's pounding, man. I'm like, and this voice says, hello. And I said, you're not going to believe this, Jennifer, but this is your dad. She says, I know. I've been waiting for you to call. So we talk, get on a plane, head for Covington, Kentucky, land. And for some reason, I had to get a motel room or something for the night. And it was like a hundred yards away and I'm and there's no way to get there, and so I finally lay, get there with this all my suitcases. In the morning, I hear a knock on the door, and there's this beautiful woman and her husband standing there, and I'm like, Jennifer? And she said, yeah. And, you know, I love to say the first thing we did was hug and kiss. No, that, we were sort of like not close at all but we get home and it, and they, I drive up and it looks like this this home and gardens thing house in the middle of a forest 5,000 square feet I mean and so it ends up Jennifer gets a master's degree in teaching and her husband Denny is the head of Quest Laboratories in Covington in, in Cincinnati across the river my grand these grandkids 
they were about this tall. I, we just hugged on each other, and it was like, how, how, can, how can this be? They love me, and I love them, and we had such a great time, and uh, they were just here two months ago, and we went all over the place, you know? And that bout with alcoholism, had it not been for the Lord's intervention, taking me by the hand into those rooms of AA to recover, that would have never happened. And what had never happened was the fact that I was talking to this young lady from Hope, I believe it is, that uh, about my daughter, about how they wanted her to get an abortion. My girlfriend, they wanted her to get a... So the dynamics of just the aborted issue and the woman that ends up and aspires to be a to be a um, teacher and then gets a master's degree and uh, it just is the amazing thing of what God can do. What ends up to look like wreck and ruin, forty years later emerges into this wonderful story with these wonderful people and to add to it looking back had I raised Jennifer it wouldn't have been how it turned out because she found these people that loved her who were Christians uh, and took her to church every Sunday and raised her and they weren't wealthy at all they were very uh, minimally middle class and they went to any length to send that child to college you know so I'm grateful for the fact that how God intervened through his Holy Spirit to show me the path and to yeah, amazing stuff you're listening to I've got a story to tell with Dan Skinkus. We'll be right back after these brief messages. Zephyr Point, Bob and Grace Spiker are organizing another day for uh, Workday at Zephyr Point. And it is a longstanding mission and ministry of this congregation. It will be Saturday, May 8th from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. They're going to meet at the maintenance office at 7.30 for coffee, donuts, and instruction. If you are able, please let them know so that they can have the appropriate number of projects ready to go. We rejoice with Zephyr Point that they are able to now host uh, visitors after a year of not being able to do so because of COVID. The next Tuesday and maybe next Wednesday could be a bit noisy around here. The city's going to be tearing out and pouring new concrete in the sidewalk areas along Musser and Division that need to be replaced. This should make these areas a whole lot safer. They plan to start first thing Tuesday morning, about 7 a.m., and the affected areas should be dry by Sunday, May 9th, which, by the way, is Mother's Day, for those in the know.
Welcome back to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. Oh man, I forgot about that black guy. This is a story. Yeah, Phoenix, Arizona. So we're traveling the country and we end up at a mission meeting in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona with a chaplain there that has this place for homeless people, sold out to the homeless people. The population base at the time that we're gonna speak was about um, 300 homeless people standing in this yard. And never forget that, I never forget that the the umbrellas, these big um, pipe, umbrella stands for shade were set up. Well, as we're mingling with the people and everything, the wind comes up like one of those dust devils. I'm not not kidding you. 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour, everybody's running for cover and these canopies start coming off the ground and hitting cars and uh, and uh, and people were like within inches of getting and nobody got hurt thank god so after it all calms down they put it all back together it takes them about an hour to get everything back together again and they had these bands and everything and here's the most abstract picture i've ever seen there was a factory there was the stage where the gospel was being preached. Preachers would come up, and this whole thing was happening. Uh, highly spiritual, highly concerning about the people. And in the backdrop, a hundred yards away, was this factory. It must have been 200 yards, an old brick building with the painted advertisements on it, huge. And the driveway into it was no longer blacktop. It was all beat up and rocks and all of that. And the law enforcement was coming through there every 10 minutes. And I thought it was because of the, uh, the gathering. Anyway, as I looked down towards that building, I saw people sitting there on, on uh, resting back on the building. And then I focus in a little, and I'm thinking to myself, am I really seeing this? And there were people there injecting heroin. And within 100 yards was salvation. 100 yards away from them was leaving addiction. And they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't get it. They, they were two hundred people. I'm going to say 100 people without exaggerating. were shooting up on that wall. So we went up and ministered and it was great lord was spirit of god was there jesus everything was happening man the holy spirit anointing you know because when you're out on the road i mean i i was this way you're so beat up from the road that when you get to preach 
you can't hardly preach. I mean, you just got to depend on God's Holy Spirit to do the preaching. We didn't, we didn't have the luxury stuff to make you comfortable as you can. So we went the way we went. So we do this sermon, and I'm so highly excited because people are responding to the word and thinking, man, maybe somebody will get the salvation, get off this addiction, and da da. And uh, the day's over, and we're walking away. You know what? God always has that guy. After you do your thing, there's always that guy or that girl or that little child that is like the P.S. of reviewing in the spirit what has happened. It's like, what? So this big black guy comes up to me, and he must have been 300 pounds. Looked like he worked out for the last 10 years, you know? He says, hey, how you doing? They're like, cool. How you doing? <laughs> says, you from Vegas? I go, yeah, yeah Vegas. He said, could I tell you a story? I thought, yeah, I want to hear your story. So he said, you know, uh, Tropicana, or he mentioned one of those very large-scale hotels. I was the, uh, I was the manager of those, that hotel. He says, and um, he said there was this uh, girl that would come into my office not too pretty, uh, younger girl, he says, wasn't interested in her. But every day she'd come in and say, uh, can I show you something in the Word of God? And he'd go, what? You can, no. What are you doing? Two days later, she'd be back. Every, And so now he's sort of looking at her at a different perspective. Oh, maybe it's like a friend or... Oh, maybe I could get involved with her in a relationship. Or he said, but he said, no, nothing like nothing like that. So he said, uh, this transpired over a period of three months, and in his heart, he knew something was tugging at him through this girl coming to his office. He said, and then one day, this most awesome, beautiful black girl showed up. He says, she wanted a job or something. And uh, he said, I was enamored by her. He said, I just sort of fell in love with her right away. And he said, I'll never forget. She had a red dress on, red, as red as it could be. And it was bright red. And he said, something told me in my heart, you better go with the Bible, girl. <laughs> you better. He said, no, no way, man. I, she's not attractive. And, yeah. So he said, it gnawed on him. To, and he fought this battle. He said, it went up, this girl in the red dress would come around every once in a while, tice him a little bit. Hey, you want to take me out? He said, finally I broke down. He said, he said, I, I took her out. And he said, uh, they partied and then 
he partied again and just went out for drinks and listened to music and everything was cool. He said, and then one night she had a little vial, this, and she dumped it on the table and made a line and something told him, if you touch that, you'll never be the same. He said to her, no, no, I don't do drugs. I don't do it, man. So he says, something came over me and she enticed me to do it and I fell for it. And he said, I hit that line. He said, and I knew within seconds, my life will be never the same. He said, it felt so euphoric that I couldn't even get a thought. He said, it was just the most wonderful, awesome feeling that I had. He said, and after that night, he said, the irony of the whole thing is the lady with the red dress on, she didn't come around no more. And there I was, addicted to crack cocaine. He said, I would have it in my office. I'd have it in my bathroom. He said, I'd have it everywhere. He said, I went down to 130 pounds living on the streets. He said, it took a year and a half till I hit those streets. He said, and uh, I came down to Phoenix to get away from the cold of Vegas. He said, and I ended up in this mission. He said, about uh, five years ago. And I said, so you never went back to the casino? And he said, no, this is what happened. He said, I got here. See that preacher over there? Little gnarly looking guy. He said, see that guy? He said, don't look like much, does he? He said, no, he looks a little, yeah, he looked like a street guy. He said, that guy gave me Jesus. He said, that guy gave me Jesus. And after I got Jesus, he said, I remembered the girl that came into my office. He said, everything she told me came back to my mind. And I knew it was truth. And he said, I accepted Christ. I said, so what are you doing? He says, this is, my, this is it. This is where I am. He said, I've been five years here serving the Lord, right, in this mission and with all of these people. He said, these people are just my, my life source to see their lives changing. And he said, now my life will never be the same. He said that. He said, it's an amazing thing from how I, he says, I went to college. He says, I did all the right things to get that job at that casino. And he said, God wanted me more than that casino was worth in my life. And so that was an amazing thing. One human being telling me through the Holy Spirit's influence, that girl coming to his office and he had something to reflect on. You're listening to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. We'll be right back after these brief messages. For many people, the pandemic has been a time of resetting, reevaluating where they live, 
how they live, and where their lives are headed. It has been a challenge emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Many are asking questions about how to understand what has happened, what it means, and what they should do now. If that sounds familiar, and you would like to be a part of a community that has a message of hope, we invite you to check out First Presbyterian Church, Carson City. Our mission is to open the gospel to Carson City and beyond, and we would like to walk with you as you explore God's message of love in Jesus Christ. We are not perfect people. We are people who have good news to share with a world desperately in need of hope. Join us in person or via live stream on this YouTube channel each Sunday at 10 a.m. Welcome back to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. So when I'm looking at this guy all buffed up, he said, yeah, I've been working out. How do I look? <laughs> I said, you look pretty good, bro. <laughs> so that's the story of the desert in Phoenix, Arizona. I've Got a Story to Tell is a podcast of Presbypod, a production of Aunt Betty Studio, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Carson City. 